Well, good morning, good morning. Man, I tell you what, today um, is, is in some ways not unlike any other Sunday. They always do fantastic, but I tell you what, I'm just grateful for those who lead us in worship every week. Aren't they a blessing to us, man? Would you just pray, <laughs> praise God for them? We start a new series today, so regardless if you're in here today or if you're joining us online, I know this is the beginning of summer, we'll have a lot of people traveling. In fact, we have uh, over 100, I think, headed to middle school beach camp today, so we'll try to really land the plane quick enough to where you can go home, eat lunch, and get back by the time for them to depart. Uh, and so with all that in mind, I want you to go and turn in, take out, turn in, turn on your Bibles to the book of Exodus we're going to start a series on the book of Exodus today. While you're turning to Exodus, let me just tell you one thing real quickly. Um, uh, we have gone the last uh, five, six years, four times to the Holy Land, taken over 150 folks from our church and their family and friends, some from outside of our church. I just want to invite you next summer, the 2023, June of 2023, headed back again. Amy and I are going together. We're having an interest meeting next Sunday at 4 p.m. So if you're at all interested in going with us, we'd love for you to join us, even if you're, uh, maybe you're watching at home next Sunday evening at 4 p.m. here in the choir room, just over this side of the hallway. And I'd love to see you there just to give you more information. Maybe you can't make that. Several families have told me they can't make the meeting, but they want information. So if you give me your name or, or just give them even an information desk, they'll get that to me. That would be fantastic. Exodus chapters 1 and 2 is where we're going to be today. Now, it's an awful lot of reading. There's no way we're going to read both chapters. And so what I want you to do beginning this week is to go ahead and take one of these. There, there actually is one on Facebook, Instagram. But also, uh, as you go out today, you could grab one of the physical postcard uh, things that is a reading plan. Basically, it's got every Sunday we're going to be walking through Exodus, has the title or the theme of the day, as well as the, the references, the scripture portion that we'll be covering in the message. Uh, the reason that's important is because, man, some weeks we're going to be covering multiple chapters. No way to read every word in here. And so we can read together during the week, and then when we get into the message on Sunday morning, we're all really prepared. And, I, and obviously, we're going to take into account and understand that not everybody's going to be here the week before, and we'll have guests, and so they won't have the opportunity to read ahead. But it's going to be to your benefit to grab one of these, just so you can read along with us in your devotional time, because we believe there's, there's much more power in the Word of God itself than in the person that's standing up communicating. Obviously, we're nothing without the Word. So even as we look today, here's the, the thing. Everything we've sung, sung about is what we're going to read about, and that is uh, he is the same God. Aren't you grateful that we serve a God who is the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? It's not a different God. He's not uh, somehow you know, isolated himself or backed into a corner to where he's no longer accessible to us. In fact, it's right the opposite. The same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the same God of the children of Israel who are in bondage in Egypt in Exodus 1 and 2, is, is now actually more accessible to you. He's more accessible to me than he was even to his people in the Old Testament. So we have absolutely no reason to somehow think that he's less significant or the work of God in our lives is somehow less significant now than it was then. He is the same God. 
And if he's not working in our lives, the problem is not him, the problem is us. And so as we begin this series, it's going to be a series we'll walk through Exodus through the summer. It's going to be, I believe, fantastic and helpful as we walk through who God is for us and to us and how he's working in our lives. We're going to back up. If you're at Exodus 1, turn one page back and you're going to begin with me in Genesis chapter 50. And let's begin reading in verse 22 because here's the thing. We're going to talk about the death of Joseph. Do you remember Joseph? Joseph's the... The, the young man, the coat of many colors, as you know, he's a little bit of an, a, a prideful, arrogant young guy, made his brothers mad and they threw him in a pit, you know, sold him into slavery, you know, some sibling, sibling rivalry there for sure. Um, tough days for Joseph. In fact, even uh, Potiphar's wife and the whole story is kind of trapped in there, falsely accused, a lot of bad stuff, prison crazy stuff. So Joseph's life is a series of ups and downs, but we find by the end of his life, he's actually risen to power and he's found favor in the ruler's eyes. And, um, and so his brothers have come and they've made peace with one another. Joseph forgave them. They've lived in this place. We actually are going to read about Egypt. And so Egypt didn't start in slavery. You know, it's not like Israel just showed up and they, they became slaves. I mean, this was, there was some good time leading up to Exodus chapter 1. So Genesis 50 verse 22, it says, So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children, the third generation, and children also of uh, Mashir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Because he's the same God, right? This is the same God. And so he's going to bring you up out of the land to the land that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, it's almost like he said, hey, repeat after me, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. I want you guys to understand, he's going to bring you up. Don't forget, don't forget the promises of God because he's the same God. So Joseph, it says, died in verse 26. Being 110 years old, just to make sure we understand how dead he was, they embalmed him. Then to go a step further, it was there, they put him in a coffin in Egypt, all right? So made sure, I mean, he's really, really gone. So Joseph passed away. A chapter has now ended in the story of the people of God. The page has turned, and we see now they're in Egypt, and we kind of turn the page to Exodus chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. And it says, The people of Israel were fruitful and increased uh, greatly. In other words, they, they had a lot of children. They multiplied. They grew increasingly strong so that the land was filled with Israelites. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He didn't hold the descendants of Joseph in high regard. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many. They're, they're too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Verse 11, Therefore, they set 
taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. But the more they oppressed, the more they multiplied. I think this is so cool to see that this is what happens if the people of God actually are walking in the plan of God, even when we are in oppression, even when we are being persecuted, even in terrible circumstance, God is still blessing. And I think that's the whole point we've got to see here because they were oppressed, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, the more they spread abroad and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. God's plan could not be thwarted. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and they made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So this is the picture. This is bad circumstances. This is kind of like, again, Joseph in the pit. This is like Joseph sold into slavery. This is like Joseph being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. These are not good days. These are, these are terrible circumstances. They are now enslaved by the Egyptians. And then we see in Exodus chapter 2. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, we see like the, the most significant, one of the most significant fast forward buttons in all of Scripture. Because legitimately, Moses is born in a time of great hostility where the ruler is extremely paranoid and he wants to kill every one of the Israeli boys. And so he says, you've got to, if you're an Israeli woman and you've had a, a boy, you've got to cast them in the river. We're going to kill all these young babies. It's unreal to see how the, the Jewish people, the people of God, uh, have been honestly hated for all of history. This is not a new problem. Uh, it's significant. And so they were casting these babies into the river. Moses' mom, all here in this short period of time, this fast-forward button, uh, she places Moses into a basket. You probably heard the story. And, and uh, Moses is in the river, but he's not uh, sinking in the river. He floats. Pharaoh's daughter finds him, calls him her own. And ironically, the providence of God, uh, Moses' mother is hired as a, a maidservant and, uh, and actually is allowed to care for her own son, uh, even under the authority of Pharaoh's daughters. It's a beautiful picture of God's providence and his plan. Here's the thing. It's not beautiful, though, that, that many other boys were, were murdered. They were killed. And so, again, in terrible circumstances, terrible story. But God's plan is always working, even in the midst of your bad day. Even in the midst of unimaginable crisis. Shootings in Texas. Even this morning I heard in a foreign country, I can't remember, it was a headline between services. I read that it looks like there was a church shooting in another country and, and dozens of people feared to have lost their lives. This is a terrible situation and it's, it's easy to look at those kind of headlines and to hear bad news and to somehow think that God is outside of that and God is unaware of that and where's God in all of this stuff that's happening all this bad news but even in the midst of bad news even in the midst of evil rulers he was the same God guys he was still working he was still working out his plan in the midst of the consequences of a fallen world so in Exodus chapter 2 verse 1 through 10 we see the birth of Moses the childhood of Moses 
And by verse 12, Moses is a grown man. He knows who he is. He knows whose he is. And he sees an Egyptian guard persecuting, beating a Hebrew worker. And Moses takes the life of the Egyptian. He kills the man. And then by verse 15, Pharaoh finds out about Moses' killing of the man. And Moses runs for his life. He runs to Midian. And so we see this story, this picture of Moses now coming to himself and recognizing the oppression of God's people. And God's going to actually work in that bad circumstance. And you might say, well, was it okay for Moses to kill a man? It never says it was a good thing. I mean, this is murder. And it shows us even that God can use us in our mistakes. God can use us in the midst of our inability to be good enough. And and sometimes people are so unforgiving and and might actually say, well, man, you know, God can use anybody except somebody who's done this or somebody who's done that. And and I would say, if if you think there's limitations as to who God can use, you do not believe in the same God that is in the Word of God. Because God can use anybody. And you may say, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've gone. You don't know how many mistakes I've made. And look... Time after time after time, God used unlikely people to do unimaginable things for him. And so look, it's not about what you have done, it's about what God can do. And so the question is not about your circumstances or your history or or your experience. It's ultimately about God and his character and what he can do. Look at verse 23, Exodus chapter 2 verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and and they cried out for help. So they didn't just complain about their problem uh, among one another. They actually cried out to God. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God in verse 24. God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look at verse 25 with me. God saw the people of Israel and God New. Would you read 25 with me? God saw the people of Israel and God knew. One more time, please. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. This ultimately is the foundational verse for the entire message today. And I want you to think in two, I guess you could say two major lanes. We're going to really land on the final one briefly, but spend most of our time in this idea first that God knows. God knows. God knows. But God doesn't just know. God moves. Let's start with God knows. What exactly does God know? Man, God knows everything. That's kind of an understatement. God is ever aware. You can say it like this. There's, there's nothing that he doesn't know, and there's never a time he doesn't know it. There's no thought that you've had. There's no struggle that you're facing. No circumstance that you're you're coming up against that God is not completely aware of. But he's not just aware on the surface. God knows all things past, present, and future. Not just past in my life. Literally like past for all of time. The word we use in the systematic theology is that he's omniscient. There's three words. You've probably heard all of them. One of them is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. God is omnipotent. He's also 
omnipresent. God is everywhere. God's everywhere all the time. There's never a place you can run that he is not there. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. But then finally, he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. And that is that there's nothing God doesn't know. There's not, there's not one question he doesn't know the answer to. There's not one event that he's not fully aware of. And so with this idea of all-knowing, what can we say Scripture speaks to about his knowledge? First, I want you to see, if you have a pen or maybe type this into your notes, the great references just to remember. This is God's Word. Psalm chapter 147 and verse 4. Listen to this. God determines the number of stars. Now, I know you're saying, oh, he's the creator. Duh. Yeah, but think about how big this is. God determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names. God has named every star. Great is our Lord, the psalmist says, and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. What's that mean? His knowledge is bigger than you can even imagine. God is bigger than you. God's bigger than even we can grasp. And it doesn't take very long for me to reach the capacity of my understanding and knowledge. But God's already there. And in this short explanation, I'm going to get there really quickly as far as like, I don't get it. It goes beyond me. But here's the idea. Look, God knows, God knows everything. He knows how many stars there are. He has a name for every one of them. Now, what's the big deal about that? Well, the recent study by scientists estimates that we can see, we actually can see physically 70,000 million, million, million. That's not a made-up number. I, I got this from a report. Right? 70,000 million, million, million stars. Now, what is that? That's a 70 followed by 22 zeros, all right? That's a lot of stars. Well, what's the big deal about that? Here's the thing. Listen, there are more stars that we can see than there are grains of sand on every beach on this planet. And God knows and named them all. To say God knows everything is like an understatement. God knows more than you can even know that he knows. And look, he, here's the thing. You mean, oh yeah, I mean, he's God. He's God. Think about this for just a second. I mean, this is where it gets crazy for me. All right? So we understand, okay, he knows everything in time. But look, he knows before time because he was before we were. And by we, I mean like humans. So he was before was was. So time started, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. Right. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. What's God? God is Trinity. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Paul in many places in the New Testament says this kind of thing. But in Colossians, he said, All things were made for him, by him, and through him. Speaking of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, Jesus. The Word was with God and the Word was God. So the Trinity, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, was in the beginning. But look. Before the beginning. What's the beginning? That's actually the beginning of time. So when time began, God already was. He's outside of time. All I can think and all I can imagine is inside this little bubble we call time. This little place we call earth. God is beyond. He's above. He's other than this place. He's beyond. He's above. He's other than this time but somehow he is both imminent and transcendent. So he, he is here even though he is bigger than here. He is now even though he is bigger than now. 
And if your mind is not blown, you are much smarter than I am because that's beyond. That's beyond me. I can't even begin to fathom that. Why? Because I'm finite and he's infinite. So this is the God that we worship. He knows. Matthew chapter 10 verse 30 says that God knows the number of hairs on your head. Now for some of you, that's zero. Amen? So I can know how many hairs are on your head. (laughs) But for some others, that's quite a bit. I mean, JC over here, Jeff Craddock, he's got some hair on his head, brother. Let me tell you, all right? So for some of us, we have a lot of hair. Some of us have a little hair. But here's the truth. God knows that's how intimate. And again, we think of knowledge. We think smart. We think like intellectual capacity. And God does know like that. But here's the God knows you. God knows you. He knows everything about you. He's intimately engaged and involved in your life. There is nothing about you that God does not know. Proverbs 139, look at this on the screen, verses one through four. You have searched me, Lord. You have known me. You know when I sit and when I rise. In other words, he's always watching, right? You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are, I love this word, you are familiar with all my ways. You are familiar with all my ways. There's nobody that knows me like Amy. I mean, she can like literally know like what I'm thinking sometimes if I'm, if I, you know, I say, how'd you know that? Well, I just know you. I just, what is that? She's familiar with all of my ways. God knows you like that. I'm like, he, like he knows, he's familiar with everything about you before a word is on my tongue. Lord, you, you know it completely. He knows what we're going to say. He knows what we think before we think it. Proverbs 15, 3, look at this. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. And so this is the picture of your God. He sees our actions every minute of every day. There is nothing that he does not know. But God is not just the possessor of knowledge. He's not just the possessor of knowledge. He's also the source of knowledge. And the reason it's so important, coming out of this cultural series we did where we were confronted with the lies from the enemy and so many times we believe the lies in our culture. The reason it's significant to think about this is because it's so, it's so important for us to understand God is the source of all knowledge. I'm not just talking about the source of spiritual knowledge. He's not just the source of revealed knowledge in the word of God. God is the source of all knowledge. Well, Wayne, what, what makes you say that? He's God. He's God. I think somehow Christians get so... And forgive the term, but it's the most accurate one. We're ignorant. We're foolish sometimes to like somehow think that that the, the truth of God's word is somehow separate from other kind of truth. And we think even in some sense we're adversarial and we are opponents to, for instance, science. And we may say, oh, well, science is crazy. And, you know, some people only believe if it's scientific. And they think somehow that scientific is not of God. (laughs) Like, I don't believe in God, I believe in science. You know what's crazy about that? They believe in in the truth that God has established. So they may think they don't believe in God. They actually believe in in the actual, like, established results and and, uh, function and substance of what God has already established as the order. Because, listen... Now, I'm not talking about scientific theory. I'm not talking about scientists because scientists are like preachers. They're human. 
And a preacher can be wrong. Y'all all right? A preacher can be wrong. Just turn your TV on. You'll see a bunch of that. The truth is, not everybody's on TV. I'm not saying that. But here's what I want you to understand. A preacher can be wrong. A scientist can be wrong. So I'm not saying scientists are infallible or that somehow theories of science are infallible. No. People make mistakes. Scientists make mistakes. But if there is a scientific fact that we know to be absolutely certain, guess what? It's God. God ultimately has established that as a fact, a truth. Why? Because all truth is God's truth. There's not one thing that is true that God didn't make true. Nothing. Nothing. And so here's the thing. We're not against science. Why? Because God is the one who established science. You may say, well, where are you getting that from? Even the idea of omniscience. I told you omnipotence, omnipresence, and omniscience. Omniscience is actually a word with Latin roots. And you know this, I'm sure, many of you. But uh, omni is, is uh, the root that is all. So it's saying all. And then uh, sentia comes this English word science. And it is knowledge. And so all knowledge is a description, a characteristic of our God, and so what that means is there is no knowledge, even scientific knowledge, that is not God's knowledge. All truth is God's truth. And so with all of that as kind of foundational, I'll give you three things under this idea of God knows. What does God know? First of all, God sees your circumstances. God knows full well everything you're facing. And we can see that in the scripture, because even in chapter 2, verse 25... We see that, that he's telling us this based on the people of Israel in bondage in Egypt. And it says God saw the people of Israel and God knew. While we're not the people of Israel and we're not in physical bondage in a place called Egypt, we can understand that this is true of us as well in this regard. God sees our circumstances. God knows where you are. God sees your problems. God knows your struggle. And look, you may not be facing the pain of being beaten by an Egyptian guard. You may not be facing the struggle of bondage and oppression, not in the sense that these Israelites were here in the narrative, but, but you know pain, you know struggle, you know hurt, you know family problems. You've been in the doctor's office when you've gotten the diagnosis that rocked your world. You've been in the, a conversation with your children when they've done something that's been unpleasing to you and more importantly, unpleasing to God. Maybe you're a kid who's had a parent who's totally messed up. Maybe they've even, in many ways, let you down as an example and a leader. And we've all been in those situations where our hearts are broken and we are suffering and we are brokenhearted. We know Pain, no matter who we are. Look, we know pain. We get it. We've been in circumstances that are not pleasing. But listen, there's no human being who is exempt from pain and struggle. None of us. No man, woman, boy, and girl in this room is exempt from pain and struggle. It might, it might be said that wealth and possessions are a curse more than a blessing. So some people might say, well, man, they were slaves. They were in Egypt. They were in bondage. And we're, we're in North America. We're living the life. I mean, we heard Corey say a couple weeks ago that, that even the, the poorest American is, is really wealthy. And, and I would say absolutely right. But sometimes, man, the wealth you have is a curse. Sometimes, have you ever been to a third world country? If you haven't, you need to go. 
Number one, it'll absolutely convict your heart how spoiled rotten you are. But even beyond that, what it does is sometimes you'll find yourself being actually a little bit jealous of other people who aren't so addicted to and dependent on material goods. Sometimes the smile on their faces seems more genuine than ours. The fact of the matter is oftentimes the possessions you have can be a curse And so with all of that in mind, look, every man, every woman in this room, regardless of social standing, materialistic goods don't make us happy. They don't satisfy. We know pain. We know suffering. And this is the point, really, of the whole idea. God sees your circumstances. No matter how much trouble you've had, he knows. God sees our circumstances. Secondly, God hears our cries. It's one thing for him to know your circumstances, but it's another thing to know that when you cry out to him, he actually hears you. He hears your cries. Verse 23 of chapter 2. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. God heard them. God heard them. It's one thing to understand that God sees where we are. But it's another thing to know that no matter where we are, when we cry out to him, he, he hears us. I mean, he hears our prayer. He hears our cries. He knows that we are crying out to him. And no, no prayer from a Christian goes unheard by God. He is leaning in to hear your cry for help. I mean, the best way that I can even see this or hope to apply it is me as a father and my kids. If my kids are in need, we drop it. What's it? Doesn't matter. We drop whatever it is and we run to them. If they cry out to us, we are there. We may injure ourselves running to get where they are <laughs> in the house, but, but we, they're the number one priority. And, and I think in the craziest of ways, we don't understand because there's billions of people and maybe we don't think there's any way we can fathom this, but God runs to you. Man, God's leaning into you. When you cry out to him, he hears you. He knows your circumstances. He knows where you're at. Nothing's catching him by surprise. And he is listening for you to cry out for help. And and I think this is the beauty of it, recognizing that that none of this has caught him by surprise. You may say, well, man, you don't know my family situation. You don't know my marriage crisis, man, my job situation, everything. It, It seems like everything has absolutely went south and nothing's going the way that I dreamed it would. And but here's the deal. Look, God knows where you are and he hears your cry. But then third, I want you to see, God remembers his promises. God remembers his promises. No matter what we're facing, God knows where you are. He hears your cry and he remembers his promises. I want to show you two verses that are kind of an answer to one another. Genesis 50, 24. I read it earlier at the very beginning. God will visit you. This is Joseph. God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the same God who spoke that promise to Abraham. But then Exodus chapter 2, verse 24, what's it saying? God heard the groanings. God heard the cries of his people. And God remembered his covenant. What covenant? The covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So the same God that spoke the promise to Abraham, it was testified by Joseph on his deathbed, He's still the same God speaking to the people of Israel, listening for their cries. And he's just warming the car up, right, to get ready to take them out of bondage and lead them into the promised land. 
Now, time and time again, we always seem to get in the way of God's plan. And the people of God, as we walk through the book of Exodus, we're going to see, man, there's this thing called wilderness wanderings because of our lack of faith. But, but here's the fact of the matter, man. God's always working his plan. And that's really where we're going to land because we see that God knows. But finally, we see that God moves. And it's really not enough to say that God moves. God's always moving. Romans 8, 28 is probably the best example of this in Scripture. It says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. And in the language of the Greek there, in Romans 8, 28, here's what it's saying. It's saying that God is always working. God's always working all the circumstances. You mean, how could He be working in the slavery of Israel and Egypt? He was. How could he be working even in the midst of my divorce? How could he be working in Texas in a, a mass shooting? That's crazy, man. Are you saying somehow that God orchestrated that? No, look, I'm not saying that. Here's what I'm saying. Even in the bad things that happen, God is working. God was working when Joseph was thrown into the pit. God was working when, when Joseph was uh, thrown into the dungeon. God was working when Joseph was was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. God was working even when that Israeli was struck by the Egyptian guard. God was working even when his people were in chains and being oppressed by the Egyptian people. God is always working. And in your life, it may be, again, a health situation. It could be a family crisis. Maybe you lost your job on Thursday. Let me just, I'm here to tell you, God has not forgotten where you are. He knows. He knows. He knows everything you're facing. He knows your circumstances. And he loves you. Here's the thing that's so cool, though. He's working. He is not sitting idly by watching your life fall apart. God is working, even in the bad. He's working. And so what's our answer, man? We've got to just rest assured. He knows and he moves. He's working. Let's trust him. Let's trust him today to take whatever mess that is our life, every disappointment, every discouragement, even every mountaintop and every valley, God's always working. And look, it may not come out to the plan that we want, but he has a plan. And it's a better plan than we could ever imagine. Trust him. Trust him today. Lord, we love you. And I thank you for your word. It's so good. Every moment that we read it, Lord, it does convict us. It reminds us of who we are and whose we are. Sometimes it pushes us back to a realization that we're not nearly what we think we are. We're so dependent. God, we're so inadequate. You're so big. We're so little. But God, we know this. You are a God who knows everything about us and you still loved us. You still gave us Jesus. You tell us in even through Paul in Romans 5, 8, that you demonstrated your love for us and while we were sinners, you died for us. So God, we thank you. I pray you'd speak to us even through this time of commitment that we would trust you more in everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?